You are now listening to the Talking Mush podcast with Michael Johnson and Colin Cummings. Bang, boom, bow. No, no Instagram live though. No, no, no. <laughs> I got my phone. It's only on ten percent. We can't. We can't. It's yeah. We'll figure it out we'll one day. Figure it out, but this is Talking Mush, and uh, we're here with Larissa. It's on you. Is it on me? Yes, sir. Oh, look, we're here with Larissa. Hello. And, and I'm your host, Michael Johnson, and this is Colin Cummings. And uh, Larissa, how do you want to be introduced? You're a neuroscientist. You study psilocybin. You study cannabis. What else? It's so exciting. <laughs> I mean, I study it all. I study neuroscience and the brain and a whole bunch of different things of the brain. Dif- multisensory processing of the brain. That's what I study. Awesome. And... Uh, Larissa McKetton, McKetton. How do you pronounce that? McKetton. McKetton. I got, I got it right. I, yeah. I yeah. nailed it. You got Good it. Job. I nailed Good it. Job. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you're going to be a resident scientist indefinitely. That's the plan. I mean, yeah. my title is scientist, so <laughs> I'm a scientist. Are are the talking mush resident scientist until? Oh, uh, absolutely. Absolutely awesome, and we're so excited to have you. Hundred percent. I'm happy to yeah. be. And thank you for coming. What other podcast? Has an in-house scientist. I don't know. I haven't seen it. I think Zero. I think Joe Rogan has a couple scientists, but it's like multiple. When's the last time you seen it's multiple. one? It's multiple. <laughs> I haven't seen Ron They just got the kooks down. They got the kooks on. <laughs> they got the. It's <laughs> uh, hilarious. Five G, bro. Okay, so we have some questions for Larissa that we've prepared, and Larissa did some research for us. Yes. And uh, and we we asked her these questions, and and. We came to these questions from, you know, interviewing all these other people and yeah. just from our own curiosities, from our own experiences. Yes. And uh, hey, Colin, why don't, you, why don't you take it away with the first one? Oh, man, the first question. First one. So I actually have these written down. I don't do this often when it comes to interviews, but when it's like solid, solid stuff like this, I, I like to be a little prepared. So uh, first question is, what happens in our brains when we take psilocybin? So when you ingest magic mushrooms, the main uh, psychoactive compound is called psilocybin. And once it's ingested orally, it gets absorbed by your liver into the active drug known as psilocin. And it undergoes this rapid dephosphorylation. So it just removes this sort of phosphate group. And Let me stop you right there. Dephosphorylation? Can yeah. you Can you tell me what that means? <laughs> just a removal of a phosphate group. It's like PO4, it's like a, it's a, structure of the molecule that gets removed and gets converted into its active compound called psilocin. Then psilocin can make its way through your blood circulation into the brain and it can pass the blood-brain barrier and then start its effects. So psilocybin cannot do this. Psilocin can. And then that's when its effects start to happen. Can you tell us more about the about the blood brain barrier? Like, yeah, there's. How does that work? How do things cross it? What what else can't cross it? Like, does it have to be a certain size or certain size? Certain ways it can pass through. It has to um, different types of molecules and different types of neurotransmitters can pass through and compounds, whereas others cannot. And there's selective permeability to certain compounds. So psilocin can, psilocybin cannot, and it's just this removal of. Uh, this phos- uh, phosphate group allows it to pass through uh, the blood-brain barrier. 
Okay, and and the removal of the phosphate groups is affecting effectively making it like small enough to be able to cross the blood-brain barrier. Or does it have nothing to do with size? It has to do with size and other properties, but th that's one of the main reasons why. So size yeah. and other properties that uh, permits it to be permits it to pass through the blood-brain barrier. And so then once it gets through, psilocin is very similar in molecular structure to serotonin. So psilocin can then bind to serotonin receptors. And there's about 14 of these serotonin receptors in the brain, in the mammalian brain. And the main one, the main subtype is called the 5H2A receptor. And it's when psilocin binds to these serotonin 5H2A receptors, it causes this amplified stimulation. And that's actually what brings upon this increased sensory experience. So then the brain is led to perceive and experience things without a real stimulus, like known as a hallucination. And it's the effective binding to these uh, receptor subtypes. And then once psilocin binds, you have these effects and they start pretty much immediately within 20 minutes to 20 to 90 minutes. And the effects of psilocin last up to 12 hours. So, and it's also dependent on dose, but the effects that uh, psilocybin have on the body and the, and the mind and uh, your experiences vary, but typically people have their eyes dilate, their heart uh, rates increase, the blood pressure in their body increase. Some people have these um, out of body experiences that they report. Um, mm -hmm. You have people that feel really relaxed. On the other hand, you have people that feel anxiety or agitation. There's more feelings of openness and imagination. There's a sense of loss of ego. And then you have people who have experienced synesthesia. So it's the blending of senses. And I can go into that a little bit more. Right. But another interesting point to mention is this warped sense of time. So people report feeling the slowed sense of time. Time appears more slower than usual. And there have been actually a number of studies that looked into this and that replicated this phenomenon where where they had people who have taken psilocybin um, tried to reproduce intervals and they couldn't do them longer than three, three seconds or where they were trying to synchronize finger tapping to auditory beats separated more than two seconds they couldn't do it properly so these five ht2a receptors you can think of them having this like internal clock model for processing duration discrimination motor performance and temporal control and uh your just effect on the sense of time is warped and that has been replicated in prior studies but the main effect of psilocybin on the brain is varied because a number of studies show both increased activation and connectivity as well as decreased activation and connectivity so i wanted to go over those um, areas of the brain that are affected by psilocybin a little bit more in detail. Yeah, I'm wondering what the wide range of effectiveness is caused by. Yeah. Right, right. It's just one of those things where the brain gets both connected and disconnected in certain areas to elicit its response. So one of them is an increased activity in the visual cortex and sensory cortices that are related to sort of memory recall. So there was a study that looked at uh, memory recall using fMRI. So fMRI, functional magnetic resonance imaging, is like a modality that looks at uh, measuring blood flow and it's linked to activity in the brain, neural activity in the brain. Mm -hmm. And they found that people who've taken psilocybin mm -hmm. found there was an increased activity in these visual cortices during recollection of memories and they had stronger memory vividness and visual imagery. 
Hmm. And there was also a significant correlation between subject well-being at follow-up and memory vividness. So there's sort of this association with the structure of the brain and having this enhanced connectivity with an enhanced memory of vividness and visual imagery. That might actually play into the part of hallucinations down the road, but if you think about it, there's this one structure associated with it. So that doesn't attribute to positive or negative outcome. It's just higher connectivity uh, could mean anything, depending on what you experience, depending on your set and setting, I guess. Yeah, and set and setting is very important, especially when taking psilocybin. But of course, so in this study, they did find higher increased activation in this region of the brain associated with memory recall. So there is um, this association with uh, taking psilocybin. The other, there are, there's another region of the brain or other regions of the brain showing enhanced uh, activation, enhanced brain function. And this was used, um, this was done using a technique called PET, positron emission tomography, and it looks at glucose metabolism. So glucose metabolism uh, is also a proxy for measuring enhanced brain function. And they found that psilocybin increases glucose metabolism in areas like the frontal cortex. And this was replicated in two studies. The first one, they used psilocybin uh, concentrations between 10 to 20 milligrams. It was like an oral dose. They had 10 subjects. They gave them this oral dose, and then they did a PET scan after 90 minutes of dosing, and they mm -hmm. found significant correlations between psychotic-like symptoms and, and, and increased glucose metabolism in the prefrontal cortex, so like your frontal lobe. Another study repli was replicated that they used a smaller dose, like a lower dose, 0.2 milligrams, and they waited 150 minutes after dosing, and they mm. also found increased gl glucose metabolism in the frontal lobe, the temporal lobe, anterior cingulate cortex, so cortical-like regions, and also decreased glucose metabolism in the thalamus. So the thalamus is a brain thalamus. structure. Thalamus, thalamus. It's a brain structure. It's like a subcortical structure. It's uh, known for, it's like a sensory information relay station. Um, and there was decreased activation. Note that this study was done in the 90s, and they were taking their measurements after like 90 minutes, 115 minutes. So there was this, this time delay, and it can, t it can play a part to why we see this increased activation, whereas other studies found decreased activation in other areas. But that's the next uh, point I wanted to mention. So a lot of studies now have found decreased blood flow and um, MRI signal after taking psilocybin in very important regions, and this region is called the default mode network. So this network, I'm not sure if you've heard of it, but have. you have. Okay. So like this network is, um, which involves the thalamus, this region of the brain called the posterior cingulate co cortex and the medial prefrontal cortex. So these, this is like a network of the brain. And so um, it becomes active when people allow their minds to wander. So when you're at rest, the default mode network is uh, activated. And it's crucial for introspective thought and for generating the sense of consciousness. Like when you're dreaming? Uh, when you're at rest. So just lying down, letting your mind wander, that's your default mode network. So daydreaming. Daydreaming. Well, yeah, essentially. And that and that is that default mode network is crucial for like like I said, introspection thought introspection, sense of consciousness. And psilocybin reduces the neural firing in key communication hubs of the default mode network. And it essentially disconnects some brain regions from each other. So you can think of the decreased network of the default mode 
that drives the experience of someone to have the sense of ego loss after psilocybin use. Okay. Can you go over that again? Okay. So, so when you <laughs> driving take, the sense of ego, ego loss, what is, what is happening there? So like I mentioned, the default mode network, it's, it's the sense of ego, the sense of consciousness, introspective introspection, your, your, your thought process. Yeah. That dampens, that decreases after taking psilocybin. So right. the default mode. So now you might have a, you might experience ego loss after psilocybin use because this network is now disconnected. And interesting. So, so and, and what's more interesting is people who had had like a lot of decreased activity, more, the most inhibition in this default mode network, reported more intense hallucinations or hallucinatory experiences. Right. There's so like direct correlation in this structure. So it almost is a disconnection from self, the default mode network. Yeah. And you know what's interesting? Another, you know what? Another thing that you can do that decreases the default mode network activity is meditation. So okay. when, you, when you meditate, your default mode network dampens. The activity in the default mode network dampens. So it's really nice to see this interplay between meditation and psilocybin use in the structure of the brain or this wow. network of the brain. That's very interesting, actually. Jeez. I'm so excited about this. <laughs> so much information. Colin's going to have to watch this again. Yeah, exactly. Because as soon as I heard that, because like, like, I don't have intense hallucinations, so it's making me think about my default mode so it's not dampened enough i guess because i i never completely disconnect from self hmm. so meditation more meditation i guess yeah quiet that mind yeah. <laughs> have you seen comparisons between like people who meditate and people uh, who take psilocybin and like the effectiveness of this phenomena i think there's a study on that i might get to it i have to double check but i'm sure it's probably an additive effect we'll be but... sure to have you back to find yeah. out more but there's more things <laughs> that psilocybin does to your brain so okay i'm not finished tell us tell um, us okay. more <laughs> um so uh, you know the term brain plasticity how yeah um, how, okay so psilocybin is known to well let's explain for our viewers brain, brain plasticity how the brain can uh rearrange be. itself and is dynamic the 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 viewpoint the paradigm a while ago was your brain was static and the neurons right. you have are like how long ago changing oh Oh, that shift. When did that view change? Feel become, like, when did that view become plastic? I feel like 12 years ago, 15 years ago. No, no. That's when been, I, well, that's when no I started plasticity. hearing it. It's been decades of research, but there was a moment where we, it was like the 40s. I have to double check that, but where really? the, the mind was thought that it was static. You cannot change it through anything else. But we now know that there are so many things like epigenetics and other things you can do that change the mind. And, right and um, yeah, so... So another thing that psilocybin does is sort of temporarily rearrange itself by inhibiting, like I said, normal brain activity, but it can cause new biological stable brain connections to form. So, so you can think of it this way, like psilocybin and other, and other psychedelics, not only psilocybin, but it drives information to underused pathways and it opens up different routes and it frees up space along more heavily used pathways. So if you have someone going in, like say an MRI scan, under resting state, so, so they're just lying there. There was a study where they injected uh, these people with two milligrams of psilocybin on two separate occasions, and they found that there was a dramatic functional network change where more of these regions of the brain were interconnected or intercommunicating with one another. So there's th there was this crosstalk. So this was that image where you saw um, connections being like the placebo and then hyperconnections 
being formed under this under psilocybin. Right. So you can think that psilocybin effectively sprouts new connections across areas that were disconnected before, and then it temporarily alters like the organizational framework of of your mind, of your brain, and it's this crosstalk, and it makes it really harder for uh, people to discern fantasy from reality. And let's see if it, our let's see if our desktop view works. Nope. Nope. Doesn't work. Not today. We're yeah. going to show the picture of the image that you uh, referenced. Okay. Yeah. Well, ne- for the next for the next uh, podcast, we'll, we'll, we'll we fix can it. touch yeah. we can touch base on that. But that sort of explains why people report synesthesia and this crosstalk. It's because there's this disconnection, but also this enhanced connection being formed. So um, there's yeah, there's a number of things that are happening in the. You brain. mentioned synesthesia, um, so yeah. that's like the. The, the blending of senses. The blending of senses. So, so people are experiencing that because of this uh, heightened connectivity in the brain. Correct. So that could be like people that report uh, tasting shapes or uh, hearing colors, or uh, you know, you know, just the blend. All the different ways you can connect the two. They have these reported, um, reported uh, affect. So synesthesia. Taste the rainbow. Yeah. Yeah. Taste the rainbow essentially. So, <laughs> so those are many ways where the brain is affected by psilocybin. So there's so just to summarize, there's activation, there's stronger connectivity in some regions and there's deactivation in others. And um, it's sort of this nice interplay between the two that allows for the effects of psilocybin to happen. Very cool. Well, hey, you know what we didn't do? We didn't hit the Larissa intro. So I let's know. while she was talking, I realized <laughs> let's do it. You want to do it now? Hit it. <laughs> Larissa McKetton on Talking Mush. No, that's the oh. thing. There we We're go. back. <laughs> <laughs> so good. We'll, we'll get the hang of that one day. That was really good. Yeah. Let's let's ask our. Is there any other ways that that psilocybin changes the brain that you want to tell us about? Uh, well, there are other um, image modalities that sort of replicate the, that study. These studies. Mm-hmm. So, like when I talked about um, decreased uh, activation in the in the default mode network via functional MRI. There's other studies that replicate it using different modalities. So I don't know if you've ever heard of MEG. MEG? MEG. MEG? Magnetoencephalography. It's no. another neuroimaging modality, and it looks at how like like neurons and clusters of neurons. Is that like an MRI, there. but different? Mm, different. It's different. It, it measures like the neuromagnetic signals generated by the brain. It's a different modality. Hmm. But basically, they replicate it in a different modality, showing how... how um, there's dis- desynchronization in that structure of the default mode network, posterior cingulate cortex. And so it's interesting t- when, you're, when you're reading all these studies, how different studies and different modalities are, are finding the same things. So it's nice to replicate that. So that study found that psilocybin induces large decreases in oscillatory power areas of the default mode network. So there's de- desynchronization of, um, of the default mode of the posterior cingulate cortex. So so it's um, that's just another study that sort of replicates the others. Right on. Yeah. Very cool. Well, Colin, Holy will you do man. us the honors of asking the it's, second question? It really feels like Dr. Rhonda Patrick. Like my brain starts to heat up. I'm like, oh man, <laughs> so much. How does she know so much? <laughs> so uh, next, the next question. Um, this is something I've always been curious about. Um, just because since I've learned what serotonin is and. Uh, feeling like it's uh, drained. Oh, Colin Button. Hello, guys. Um, 
is psilocybin draining our serotonin at all? And if so, um, like we talked about uh, when we talked about 5-THP, does that uh, help replenish it? Does that bring us back to normal? So the short answer is no, it does not drain your serotonin. But before I go to that answer, I want to sort of describe what 5-HTP is for your listeners in case they might not know. Please. So 5-HTP, okay, it's like an acronym for something called 5-hydroxytryptophan, okay? I know it's a very big uh, name, but it's just an amino acid and a precursor to serotonin. So it's something that becomes serotonin. So when you take 5-HTP, you can buy it at any health food store. Uh, it gets converted into serotonin via enzymes like like utilizing vitamins like vitamin B2, B3, B6, magnesium, zinc in the body. So it gets converted into serotonin and then it can then it gets converted into melatonin, which helps mm -hmm. you sleep. So 5-HTP to serotonin, serotonin to melatonin. So it enhances serotonin production in the body, which helps people who have serotonin deficiency deficiency. And it also helps regulate like appetite your sleep and helps with anxiety and your mood regulation. So sort of like this all encompassing wow. great thing to do. Right. But unlike MDMA, I can talk about MDMA. Psilocybin yes. does not flood or drain the brain with serotonin. It doesn't drain it. So as mentioned before, like how the molecular huh. pathway of, of psilocybin, it targets the subtypes of serotonin receptors, the five, or it targets, it binds to these serotonin receptors, the 5-HT2A primarily, and it activates them, but it doesn't drain the serotonin out of your neurons or your cells. So 5-HT2A receptors are known to help with uh, regulating mood, anxiety, schizophrenia, and consciousness. But in this way, psilocybin doesn't deplete um, serotonin out of your neuron, causing a depletion. Now, I mean, that could be studied further, but evidence does not show this at this moment. But MDMA, no, MDMA is a different beast. Okay, right. so like MDMA works totally different. MDMA, really MDMA like enters the neuron, it enters your neuron and it uses something called a serotonin transporter to enter the neuron and binds to that. And then once it's inside the neuron, okay, it in, I know it's, <laughs> it's many things happen, but in, it, it inhibits something called VMAT2. It's like a, it's a, a vesicular transporter. It's something else. So it inhibits that. And what, what that means is serotonin is not nicely, neatly packed into these things called like vesicles anymore. And it accumulates within the cell. It's called the cytosol. Like imagine like the, the fluid of the cell. It's called, it accumulates within the neuron. But then MDMA releases serotonin into the synaptic cleft. So, and it denies its reuptake. So I don't know if you've ever heard of like antidepressants, SSRI, serotonin, and reuptake inhibitors. We're going to have to get a whiteboard behind you next time. <laughs> That's okay. I can like draw Let's it. Let's get it. Go get the whiteboard. We know so, you have one. So basically, oh, yeah. MDMA <laughs> is like affects serotonin and it like makes it such that it's not in the neuron anymore. It's in the synaptic cleft and it makes the receptors on the postsynaptic membrane go like crazy, like haywire for a few hours. Right on. So what that means overall, serotonin is depleted from the neuron, and that's that depletion that is needed, like the 5-HTP, or there needs to be something that can help recover after taking MDMA. So 5-HTP helps recover it. Well, 5-HTP helps uh, convert. It's a it's a precursor for for serotonin, so it helps create serotonin because it's been depleted in the neuron. Right, I understand. But yeah. also it leads MDMA, to it. Yeah, but also MDMA increases um, dopamine and norepinephrine, 
and the, that's the reason why it gives the ecstatic uh, ecstasy properties of it but but so mdma depletes serotonin from the neurons where psilocybin doesn't act through a different molecular pathway right so so how does that work it binds it binds uh through uh like i mentioned before it binds on the 5-ht2a receptors it binds them directly so it doesn't affect the serotonin within the neuron it doesn't deplete the neuron of serotonin wow uh okay so any what just quickly to mdma is that damage permanent at all um mm. i would have to look at long-term effects of mdma i've looked at long-term effects of um ayahuasca and noted there were differences in cortical thickness in certain brain regions okay. mdma i would have to double check and get back to you but yeah, yeah, yeah. i'm assuming with serotonin depletion there might be areas that are affected of the brain and certain long-term effects just because it has more of a effect already seen in this molecular pathway where psilocybin does not. Man, I'm just asking questions for myself. I'm just making sure I'm not messed up for life. <laughs> I have a couple of dozens of nights. So, so psilocybin attaches to a different receptor, which which basically results in a, a not draining the serotonin, you're saying? No? Psilocybin attaches Clarifying. to the, the serotonin receptors. Yes. And then it binds to them, and then it causes them to create the response. Whereas MDMA acts differently. It actually can affect by going into the neuron, uh, thereby releasing serotonin out and causing a depletion of serotonin within the neuron. And that is why you would want to take something with 5 So it's, it's connecting with instead of going inside of. It's and, just a different pathway. They yeah. both affect the serotonergic system. But MDMA, in addition, increases dopamine and noepinephrine, uh, noadrenaline levels. Okay. So there's this additional um, um, pathway, but in addition, it also depletes serotonin from your neurons. So there are sort of two different pathways. Both affect the serotonergic system, but differently. It's very clever. MDMA is very clever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's my first thought when I take MDMA. Awesome. What a clever thing this is. So <laughs> So, so people around the world who uh, who take psilocybin, they tend to um, report similar experiences, uh, the same the same types of visions or the same types of like sort of uh, takeaways. Um, how do you explain this? How's how does science explain this rather? So that's a great question. Um, the short answer could be, and it's just assumption where a person is based uh, having these similar hallucinations or similar experiences based on the set and setting and they're familiar with the surroundings that could could influence a repeated hallucination but if you that's mm. sort of in a nutshell but if you want it to be so you wait you're saying like if, if if set and setting is curated in a certain fashion like a certain ritual then people are more likely to uh, experience the same uh, repeated hallucination or it could be influenced the same okay. type of hallucination so However, people following the same type of ritual worldwide will, will that might lead to that okay However, that does not explain scientifically what's going on. And to answer that question scientifically of like what's going on, how does a hallucination get created in the brain? You have to look at like mouse studies and look at neurons and firing and how they're activated um, when they're given a hallucinogenic. So there has been a study in mice. So it's kind of like a pro. So this this uh, answer is kind of like. Um, Answering it based on a mouse study that we can base, uh, like we can infer from it. Yeah, but it's less of a 
of a I've heard it's less of a hallucination. Like you don't really hallucinate. Like you're not going to see uh, magical beings appear in front of you, or you're not going to see like your couch morph into you know a cup of wine or something. You're you're not going to see like some crazy things, but but you'll see like a breathing of patterns, or you'll see or or but more people experience the same it's like feelings almost like the feelings of of love or like the the oneness with nature or that ego death like these similar experiences it's it's less what you see it's more how you how you're feeling it which is more similar right. uh, i've heard a lot of people say that they don't hallucinate on mushrooms specifically that that mushroom that psilocybin isn't a hallucinogen it's kind of misclassified don't quote me on that <laughs> I would. I was right up there with you. I remember the first times that we ever tried it. I, I would be like, "Nah, I didn't. I didn't see anything. Nothing moved. Like nothing. It took years. Mm -hmm. Like almost three years." Well, what do you mean it took? So then, when you said you see things, like you, you mean like breathing. Like you'll see like breathing patterns will move, patterns but, you, but you're moving. not going to see like a gnome appear and it'll come out of your wall and be like, "Hey, come on, nobody." Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, no, no. I, I would, I would agree <laughs> with those people until I saw like a little bit, but yeah. No real so, physical hallucinations. Anyways, go on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so what I was um, saying was there's like there was this actually a really amazing mouse study done where they gave them this hallucinogenic drug and they wanted to see the response of neurons. Like they used electrodes to measure them. And they found that when they were given these uh, mice, the hallucinogenic, they, they put them in front of a computer screen and showed them simple geometric patterns like horizontal or vertical lines. And then they wanted to measure the electrical response that these neurons are firing. And what they found was there was a reduction in signal strength of these neurons, and there was this unusual and wonky timing of neuronal response mm. in the primary vision, visual cortex. So we're having a difference at the neuronal level. So we can't do this like in humans right now, right? but like we can infer based on mice what's going on. But then what was very interesting was that these mice that were previously trained to recognize the horizontal and vertical lines had then showed stronger neural effects from the drugs. And this finding could indicate that being familiar with a stimulus could influence how the hallucination acts. So okay. Does that make sense? Being familiar with the stimulus can affect how the hallucination, hallucination acts. acts. Yeah, because they found that the mice that were trained on viewing these vertical and horizontal lines after being an, after administering them this psychedelic uh, drug, they had a, now they had a stronger neural effect. And that finding they're suggesting is now this can influence how the hallucination behaves because they have a familiar response to the visual cue that they were provided. So setting has a very strong impact on, on your hallucinogenic experience yeah so and this was a very simple study but they didn't that was like a, a finding an ancillary finding that they weren't going they, they didn't expect but you can, right. there's some problems with the study you can't ask a mouse if it's hallucinating or not you're just basing mm -hmm. it on how neurons are firing but you do right. and you can measure activation and decreases increases in the timing and and uh, you can inference on that, but at a, at a like a neuronal like level, you do see differences, and you do see different patterns, and it, it could help explain why people have these types of hallucinations that might be repeated. Man, mice brains must be unique. But have you have you seen that episode of The Portal, where they talk about uh, lab mice telomeres and how the way they were bred was uh, 
<laughs> they were bred in a way that lengthened their telomeres so that it messed with the length of their life. So basically all lab studies ever <laughs> are are kind of botched because you're not getting accurate, you know, the, the right type of mice, basically. You're getting these mice that are bred specifically. Don't quote me on this, but uh, Ooh, wow. it's a huge finding that, uh, that, uh, that makes sense. these guys are trying to to talk about on the portal um it's a very interesting story it involves the nobel prize winner who's trying to cover it up and all this crazy 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 stuff so if that's true though like all the all the drugs that were derived from uh you know these tests that use lab mice are gonna have to you know be redone imagine all that data being thrown out Jeez. But anyways, I digress. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty big. I didn't. I've never heard that. Yeah, I, wa- I wanted to even say that just to just to get it out there more, because like, because yeah. uh, Eric's trying to talk about it. Eric Eric uh, Weinstein uh, is trying to to. It was his brother's work, and he's trying to, to to get it out there. So it was like super interesting. Anyways, wow. Larissa, you have to watch that episode. I'll show you. Jeez, You'll, yeah. Your your mind will explode. So. <laughs> <laughs> so set and setting so that makes a lot of sense because a lot of people when they do like ayahuasca and they have like the classic experience of going over there a lot of people report seeing jaguars like jaguars yeah um and different types of animals there they report seeing them even though like not actually but like they they hallucinate that they see them i wonder also if it's expectation too if you're like in a place where you see a lot of trees and you you think it's you're going to have this sort of mystical experience and you associate it with those things yeah it could help it could help like or it could contribute to your hallucination maybe because like when i did it i wasn't in a jungle you know i was just like in a regular place and um i didn't see anything like that but so many people report seeing that when they do ayahuasca Hmm. that's so interesting man there's so much was that the fourth question that you just asked? I'm doing it. Oh, you're going now? Oh, sorry, I thought that was it. Why do psychedelics have the uh, potential to change your mind? Um, so like allevi- alleviating depression or smokers quitting or alcoholics getting over their alcoholism um, or even helping with like eating disorders? So that's a great question. And there's a lot of body, there's a lot of uh, literature and body of work on it. And just even recently, there's three placebo controlled trials on psilocybin for anxiety and depression. Were those double blind studies? Yeah, related related to end of life diagnoses. And like all, all show positive findings. And now there's actually companies that are being set up to look at psilocybin in clinic. So there's multi-center dose finding studies that want to look at psilocybin specifically with depression and try to alleviate it. But it's not only depression, it's also alcoholism, tobacco. So it helps with addiction and it helps with internalizing disorders like anorexia, obsessive compulsive disorder, chronic pain, opioid use disorder. So psychedelics seem to work and have a common theme if you think about it. The, these internalizing disorders are all intertwined. It's it's this this mindset. This uh, I was going to say mindset. Yeah, yeah perspective. Where, yeah, where patients continue continually ruminate over their feelings. So, mm. so with depression, they keep reiterating thoughts of guilt and engage in self critical inner narrative in, inner narrative. So it's like this inner self dialogue that is destructive. In addictions. The object of addiction is to take on the role of negative thinking, like in depression. And it's this negative feedback loop that's part of this rumination that's problematic. And it's shown, so with depression, internalizing disorder, you have something like 
um, anorexia where you're you're always thinking about managing calories and then you have something like OCD you're always managing like everything is contaminated so it's like this this feedback loop that is destructive the cyclical way of thinking Correct. So psychedelics have a way by dysregulating activity in these systems, specifically with internalizing (gasps) disorders. This is huge. So so what they do is they, these circuits that encode this habit of thought and behavior, psychedelics do like hard reset and they allow the brain to recalibrate as the, it's like, it's a temporary effect. It's acute effect as the drug subsides, but there are long-term lasting effects. Like you can, you can see after psilocybin use depression improves cessation of smoking, all these other things improve through time. It doesn't have to be a constant thing. So there is a, like a long-term effect wow. as well, but it's, it's <clears throat> a reset of the, of this internal rumination and dialogue that all these conditions sort of all interplay together if you really think about it they all are they all are interconnected yeah that almost speaks to like people having like an ego death like we're all in this big cyclical thing that is life (laughs) and and uh and getting up uh into who we are as people and we we, that's kind of a, a, a macro picture of cyclical thinking even though it's the right way to be and so like when you're having an ego ego death you're being disconnected from your entire way of being for a moment to be able to sort of recalibrate uh, and come back to that. Um, that's really interesting. I think I've never heard that before. Uh, that all these like men- these illnesses and the ways of mental they, they all have something in common. One thread that uh, goes through them all. And um, it's amazing that psychedelics, uh, you know, that you've been able to explain how psychedelics sort of disrupts that pattern, uh, and it kind of explains why it can help all these different people. So. It makes me think. It's not on the question list, but it makes me think about uh, you know why people with uh, schizophrenia end up being triggered by by psychedelics instead of uh, yeah. Well, how is how is schizophrenia different than all of these other? So conditions like mental health conditions that have underlying disorders, so like schizophrenia and other mental health issues, psychedelics like even like and cannabis and other um, compounds can actually exacerbate uh, its effects and it. A, large, a big answer, a main, one of the main answers is the 5-HT2A uh, receptors and their function because they're also involved in schizophrenia. And so in the schizophrenic brain, they already have differences that once you induce something like psilocybin, which affects these receptors, it could uncover other mental health issues and, and actually exacerbate them or um, enhance them in a negative way. And um, that's another, that was another question. It's like, what are long-term effects or what are some negative things with psilocybin use? We can touch base on that, but um, in terms of like, uh, in terms of uh, long-term effects, people also report something called like hallucinogen persistent perception disorder. I don't know if you've ever heard of this. It's HPPD. <laughs> so it's, it rings it's, a bell. Like, it's like, it refers to like flashbacks. Okay. So it's a condition unique to psychedelics and it involves like uh, perceptual changes and it can last like weeks to months following the use of psilocybin. Right. Um, so, um, and research also found that psilocybin can produce psychosis, uh, like a psychosis-like syndrome and it mirrors early episodes of schizophrenia, but more research is needed to disentangle that and answer that because 
uh, we know that psilocybin may trigger and exacerbate mental health conditions and like the mania depression, we just need more research on, on that because it's still pretty rare, but it does happen in people. And it's usually people that have underlying conditions that might, have, uh, might happen later on in life that when you take these drugs might um, have them come out earlier than expected. And it has to do with the interplay of the 5-HT2A receptors because they are involved in schizophrenia as well and consciousness. So it's all interconnected. Very interesting. That's nuts. Mm -hmm. Wow. And you know what? I, I don't know. I have heard of that. Uh, what did you say? HPPP? HPPD, hallucinogen persisting perception disorder. So it's mistakenly referred to as flashbacks, but like it's common. Well, no, it's not common, but it's a uh, it's rare. But people have these uh, flashbacks that can that are like these are like long term effects after psilocybin use, and it's still pretty rare, but needs to be further studied. Like flashbacks in the sense of they go right back to that state, or is it like very minimal? Like it's involving life. perceptual changes, so it's like they might experience the way they felt when they were taking psilocybin. So they might mm. have like that feeling re-enter the body, and um, like you start to feel the way you felt when you took psilocybin, and you might have these perceptual changes. So if you hallucinated when you were taking it, and then say weeks or months later, you start to have that same hallucination without taking any psychedelics, um, it could be related to this HPPD. Wow, I've had that definitely. Have you like 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 I'm asking you? Have you ever like taken psilocybin at some point and like seen something move and then like not been on it like a day or two later and then look at it and see it move a little bit? Yeah, there's definitely like uh, effects that last after uh, yeah. the trip. Is like that, that like that? Is that that or is that something different? Uh, I don't I'm, know. I'm yeah, how do you explain the longer lasting? Like you take psilocybin and and, and uh, the effects last after the trip. Um, are you able to speak to that at all? Or is that a question for another day? Are you talking about like if you take psilocybin and then weeks later you start to have the, the same perceptual changes or the same hallucinations? No, more like a couple days after you're still feeling a bit light on your toes or like you might catch a pattern doing a little bit of a wiggle. Out of the Could corner they just of your eye. wear down because they've lo they measure its effects and it's up to twelve hours. So I mean, there are long term effects. Maybe residual effects is something common or based on anecdotal mm. observations, but it could just be though. I mean, everybody acts differently. So when they talk about starting any type of therapy, whether it's psychedelic or not, it's to go slow, start low and go slow. So mm. uh, people mm. react differently to a number of different things. So I mean. You don't want to take like fifty mil, like twenty five milligrams of something like right away. You, you can never be too sure. Yeah. No. Mm. So I mean, people react differently, and the the duration can affect you. So it could just be that it's still there's dissipating a, from your body. There's a study they did on people with uh, depression, and they give them psilocybin, and then like a year and a half later, they interview these people, and they're still feeling the effects of like yeah. the, you know changed perspective in life, and they're happy, and they're families get interviewed and their families are like, you know, what did you do to this person? They're so happy there's, now. <laughs> so there's a lot of depression, like studies on depression and they interviewed, there's like anecdotes and they interview people and a lot of them just say they had one trip, one experience and that was it. They didn't just one, yeah. anymore. Just one and 
it makes for kinder people. They feel happier, depression symptoms went away. It's like I said, it's a hard reset and some people it affects them differently than others, but there is proof to the pudding. So, I mean, well, well they say, happens. they say the psychedelic experience is kind of like having uh, a child uh, and uh, some people stop at one and some people have, one. <laughs> that and some people have none. Is perfect. <laughs> yeah, that is a fun. good analogy. <laughs> that is really good. Wow. I get that completely. <laughs> maybe there's a correlation because i want to have blew, i just blew colin's mind i want to have a bunch of kids and i also do psilocybin with a bunch of <laughs> there you go isn't that weird <laughs> well, you haven't had you haven't had one yet so you don't start know what the experience one, is like exactly and see how that goes and start with yeah like larissa said you start slow people sometimes have twins or the who's the octa the octa mom yeah exactly that's right. that's like doing you know seven grams yeah yeah exactly <laughs> right right that's like what mel did she just like took 10 grams right away <laughs> someone that took it for the first time yeah yeah oh. she she they, there's like no there wasn't a ski or like they didn't have a scale or anything and uh yeah she just kind of you know just took what she took and one of our previous guests yeah and she realized after how much it was this lady with her family yes like a, like a middle-aged older <laughs> older lady very open had a nice experience with her son and her husband yeah took, to took too many but it went well yeah well larissa thank you so much for coming on talking mush and uh -huh. sharing all that with us that was oh, beautiful thank you for having me and i'm yeah. happy to be on and talk more there's thank so much more i want to talk about yeah we'd love to have you back to talk more uh, and give us some facts uh i think you filled this up for today though uh is okay. there anything you want to anything you want to plug any social medias anything you're up to that you want to share with us that's that's up and coming next time next time wow i like that i like that she came well, she came just for the cause larissa has has uh projects in the works that's she's gonna share them with with us yeah. later that's amazing but thank <laughs> you so much for this this is like something that i always want to do in my spare time and i never get around to it so to have somebody actually hit the hard facts and do it so well is a a pleasure Thank you, yeah. thank you, thank you. Yes, we're widening our knowledge, and that's part of why we're here. here. And, uh, you know, if you want to see more episodes of Talkin' Mush, check out TalkinMush.com or check out live episodes at uh, twitch.tv slash Unreal Johnson. True. That's J-O-N-S-S-O-N, -S -S in case uh, you can't find it. And uh, please leave a review and a rating for this podcast where you consumed it. Those reviews and ratings help people find the community and get involved in these types of conversations and uh, thank you very much we appreciate you and we'll see you next time and uh, when you see us on youtube please like and subscribe hit the uh, larissa out button larissa it's been fun talking much hey guys colin cummings here just wanted to thank you guys for listening to the podcast and if you enjoyed this content please do not hesitate to like subscribe share also check out our youtube channel check out our tiktok and check out our instagram for more clips of psychedelic stories thanks again talking mush podcast out